Welcome to Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia. This podcast is a collection of messages designed to help you grow in our three anchors of real devotional life, real community, and real responsibility. We hope that you enjoy this message and that it encourages you in your spiritual growth. Gospel of John throughout this semester, and as we come to the end of the Gospel of John, we are going to not just talk about the story, we're going to take you into the story. All right? So tonight, we are going to have a dramatic representation of the four resurrection appearances of Jesus, okay? And so what you're going to see are the accounts that are, are in uh, John 20 and 21 that are brief encounters, but are extremely deep in the impact that they had on the people's lives. That probably, well, I can't say probably, I would say certainly, it was a moment that changed the arc of their lives. And so tonight, through taking the information that we've gleaned from that text and other places in Scripture, as we've learned about these people who Jesus appeared to, um, we are going to see and hear the dramatic presentation of their encounters. So let's start our night where we ended last week, and that was with Jesus hanging on the cross. So I'm going to read a couple verses from John 19, verses 38 through 42. It says this, Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier visited Jesus at night. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb, in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. He had told them this was coming. For weeks, he had been pointing to his death. From the moment Peter rightfully declared Jesus as Lord, he began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, and he would suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, that he would be killed, and then he would rise again on the third day. But they didn't understand. And so when Jesus went to the cross, they were devastated, scared, confused, He was supposed to be the Messiah. He was supposed to be the king. Following Jesus wasn't supposed to look like this. Yes, for us, the cross is the centerpiece of the Christian faith, and rightfully so. It's where our sins were forgiven. But on that dark day, to those who had been following him, it didn't look like a symbol of triumph. It looked like a symbol of the death of the hope that they had. But there was something else coming. But there they were. Mary Magdalene, the outcast, left bereft because the one person who had accepted her was dead. Matthew, the tax collector, hiding in an upper room, counting all of the things he had lost. Doubting Thomas, wondering if he had believed a lie. And Peter, swamped in shame, from denying Christ three times, 
just as Jesus said he would. But their stories don't end here because Christ's story did not end here. He had told them this was coming and it would change everything. When I met Jesus for the first time, I had been living in a dream, except it wasn't a dream. It was a nightmare. I was the shame of my parents, an outcast of my community, stuck in prostitution. People wouldn't even speak to me unless they wanted something. I had been living in darkness, some that was put upon me and some that I chose. By the time I encountered Jesus, I was broken, a shadow of a woman. Why he thought I was worth approaching on the street that day, I had no idea. But with just a few confident words from his mouth, he told any demons to leave and peace to enter. And for the first time in years, I felt like there was hope again, like light breaking into my heart. He invited me to join the band of disciples that traveled with him and supported him. Me, can you believe it? A rabbi who welcomed me. The other women and I would sit by him in the evening with the other disciples and listen as he told us about God's kingdom. Hope in our hearts that we would get to be a part of it. That Jesus may actually be the king every Jewish child was told to wait for. And a king like this, I would follow that king anywhere. And I did follow him through Judea, then to Jerusalem, through the streets as people raised palm branches crying, Hosanna. I thought our king, my king, was coming to claim his throne. Then to Gethsemane, through those same streets, I now watched as he carried a cross. And then horrifically, to the place that cross was raised, Golgotha. And the only crown they placed on him was a crown of thorns. Then I watched as he died, and it was like all the light he'd brought me fled back into darkness. This man, the only man who didn't see me as something to be used or a lesser member of society or even some, someone to comfort and then put in the kitchen. But instead, Jesus saw me as someone to learn. And he was dead. Questions invaded my mind. Why did he leave me? Who am I now? What am I without Jesus? Is everything just finished? I didn't know. Couldn't bear to begin imagining a future where I'd have to return to a life of uh, no, I didn't want to imagine it. So I turned my mind back to Jesus. He may be dead, but he more than anyone in my life had loved me. So I would give him a burial that showed my love. So I came back on Sunday with spices for his body, but he wasn't there. So the stone was rolled away. Someone had taken him. I raced back to the disciples to tell them what I'd seen. Peter and John came running. I couldn't keep up. When I finally reached the tomb, John was walking out, muttering to Peter something about Roman soldiers or bandits, whatever the strange occurrence could have been. They left me there and went to their little upper room of disciples. 
but I stayed distraught. Finally, I had the courage to look into that open cave. Inside were two angels. Angels. They asked why I was crying, and I was so caught up in grief. All I could think to do was say, they have taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they put him. He was all I could think of. Not even the shining of their clothes could lighten the shadow of my soul in that moment. Then I turned from the tomb because anywhere without my Lord was not worth staying. And I thought he was the gardener. Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? He said. And I thought, maybe he knows. So I asked him if someone had taken my Jesus away and where they might have put him so I could go get his body. And then... Jesus had always said my name in this warm, gentle way. Like the way the scent of grain would roll down a hill in a summer breeze. Out of the mouth of the gardener it came. Just one word. Mary. My name. And in an instant I knew it was him, Jesus, my teacher. I threw myself on him, holding him overcome, crying again, but smiling. My tears turned to relief and wonder as I held his living, breathing body. How was this possible? I had seen him pierced. I had seen him die. Gently, he removed my arms from their grip and told me not to cling to him. Instead, he said, leave me. Go to the disciples and tell them what I'd seen. I looked into his eyes and they were brimming with love and boundless, joyful life. And in that moment, I realized that him telling me to go wasn't a rejection. It wasn't a dismissal. I looked into his eyes and I felt like a general in a holy army, and even greater because I realized Jesus was sending me to share the news. He had come to me first. Mary, the girl who had such dreams and then little by little found out that the world only offered shame. Mary, who was a woman of little consequence in a world where women mattered little already. Mary, the prostitute. Mary, the disappointment. Mary, who no one would even eat dinner with. Mary, who was on the outside of every category the world had. Jesus said my name. And then he sent me to proclaim that what he said would happen, what we all had misunderstood, had actually occurred. I would be the first to preach the finally full gospel. Jesus had risen from the dead. And as the events of the next few weeks unfolded, I realized something incredible. In him rising from the dead, impossibly, so had I. On that morning, in Jesus alone, my darkness 
finally and completely turned to light. And that changed everything. Everybody always sees the tax collectors as the bad guys. Well, well, yeah. I mean, looking back, we were pretty terrible. But at the time, I didn't see it that way. It's not like I loved tearing people's livelihoods apart or that I became a tax collector because I loved being spat at and called a traitor. I did it because I was good at it. I was good with numbers. Counting was my thing. I wanted a future, and tax collecting was the way to get there. Why should I scrape by doing some job that I hated just because of some ridiculous principle of not selling out to Rome? The fact was Rome had the power. They were the future. So I worked hard to secure that future. I built a stable career. I made connections to build a network. And it paid off. I was comfortable. I mean, my life wasn't perfect, but it was better than most. That's why everyone was so surprised when I left it all to follow Jesus. I was surprised. Why would I leave everything I'd worked for, everything I'd sacrificed for to follow this crazy preacher from Nazareth? (laughs) Well, when I first met Jesus, I knew there was something different about him. Something that I couldn't ignore. I mean, on on his first day in town, he took a man who had been crippled his whole life and made him walk. That was worth noticing. Rome couldn't do that. Rome couldn't heal with words. Rome couldn't feed thousands with just a few loaves of bread and a couple fish. Rome couldn't make people walk on water or cast out demons. Jesus was different. And the more time I spent with him, the more I realized this guy was the future. And he was worth a pretty insignificant investment. So I started out on this brand new adventure with the man I believed held the keys to the world. I met a new community that I fell in love with. I call people brother and sister that just a few years before I wouldn't have even walked into the same room with. I traveled all around the province, living in tents, gathering food, and listening to my rabbi teach about a new kingdom that he was building. It wasn't the life I'd pictured for myself as a boy, but, but it was pretty great. And then I felt something start to shift. We went from learning, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. To, you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. What did Jesus mean by we will not always have him? Where was he going? Why was he talking like this? I didn't like the way things were headed. That's when we started for Jerusalem for the Passover. As we entered the city, huge crowds were forming to cheer and to wave palm branches. But when I looked at Jesus... All they could see was sorrow in their eyes, his eyes. He knew something we didn't. And then they came. After our last meal together in talks of betrayal, the Romans came and they took him away. They nailed him to a cross and I watched him die. Just like that. The man I thought held the world in his hands, the future in his hands, was gone. The man I'd sacrificed everything for was dead. And what did I have to show for it? Nothing. It was dirt poor sitting in this cramped little room with a bunch of people who had just lost everything. There was nothing we could do, nowhere we could go. So we just sat there and waited. As I sat there, I could feel the bitterness rising up inside me. 
Was this the cost of following Jesus? Was this my reward for giving up everything? All I could do was sink to the ground and weep. Weep for all that I'd lost. And then I heard it. Impossible, impossible, that voice. Peace be with you. Out of nowhere, there Jesus was. It couldn't be. He saw the shock in all of our eyes. And so he just smiled and said it again. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And the more he talked, the more I realized it was him. There was no doubt about it. It was really him. And then he just took this deep breath. And he blew over each one of us. As the air hit me, I felt this wave come over my soul. But it wasn't what filled me that I noticed. It was what left me. All the bitterness, the fear, and the uncertainty, it was all gone. Replaced by a peace I couldn't explain. Contentment, joy. Jesus had come back. And with that, I realized so had all his promises I thought were lost. Eternal peace. A new kingdom with God as its king. A community so close it was like one body. And a new promise. Relationship with Jesus for all eternity because he had defeated death. And like I said, counting is my thing. Give me a scale and on one side put anything you can imagine this world offering. Endless gold, power over multitudes, ease, connections, prestige, anything. And relationship with Jesus would win every time. He is the future. He is worth any cost. I thank God for the resurrection. It changed everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can already hear you over there casting shade at me. Here comes Doubting Thomas. You know what? None of these other jokers got nicknames. How about couldn't recognize him, Mary, or three-strike Peter, or penny-pinching Matt back here? You know, you know what they should have called me? Brave Thomas. After all, when the disciples were all complaining and whining, oh, if we go back to Judea, we'll all get stoned to death. I was the one saying, well, we'll then we'll go to Judea, and we'll die with Jesus. Sounds very brave, right? And yet, huh, touting Thomas. You guys, he had died for crying out loud. We'd all seen it. Our Lord, my God, hanging there from a cross with nail-pierced hands and feet, blood and water gushing from his body. And then they took them down, wrapped them up, and threw them into a grave. He was dead. So when Mary came around saying that she had seen the resurrected Lord, we didn't believe her. None of us did. Not one. We all doubted. The grief in that little room was so thick that, that I couldn't breathe. And the fear was, no, I couldn't be afraid. I, I was just angry and so heartbroken. 
And I just had to get out of that room. I had to just go out for a walk. So I left. And so I missed it the first time. When I came back, the disciples were, they were changed. They talked about seeing Jesus, about this new, about him blowing on them and and this new peace they had. And, And I just felt so jealous. Maybe that would have been a better name for me, Jealous Thomas. Yeah, I'd rep that. But I just couldn't believe them how changed they were that they had seen him walking into that room. I just couldn't believe. And maybe what actually was happening is that I couldn't believe that I had missed it. And I felt left out. But how could I believe? I had seen it with my own eyes. We had all seen it. We'd seen the dead body. The evidence was right there in front of us. So no, I dug, I dug my feet in the sand and I said, no, I will not believe until I can put my finger where the nails were and my hand in his side. I will not believe. And suddenly I was, I was on the outside. Yeah, I might've been in that room with them, but I could tell they didn't know what to do with me, the doubter. Why can't you just believe, Thomas? They seemed to say to me with every glance. I just felt like I didn't belong anymore. And you know, if it was true, if Jesus had actually come, why didn't he come to me? Why didn't he wait until I was back? Didn't he want a place for me to belong into? It just hurt so much. It just, it just hurt so much to be in that room with them and not be able to believe. But where else could I go? And then, incredibly, that familiar voice, peace be with you. And he was there. Jesus had come back. And he took that terrible, that terrible challenge I had thrown at my fellow disciples, at God, about putting my hands where his wounds were. And he didn't, he didn't criticize me for it. He didn't mock me. He didn't chastise me. No, he met me right where I was at. And he helped me to believe, my God, my Lord. So you know what? Yeah, I'll bear that name with pride. Call me Doubting Thomas all you want. I'll be the patron saint of all the doubters, of everyone who struggles to believe that Jesus actually defeated death. Everyone who feels on the outside, yearning for just a hint of the peace that they see in those around them. Everyone who just wishes they could believe. (sighs) Yeah, I'll bear that name with pride. You know why? Because my story says something to those people. Jesus loves the doubters too. And he'll come to them. He'll find a way to meet them. He doesn't care if he has a room filled with people who already believe. He will find a way to them. Because he will leave the 99 sheep to find the one that is lost. You know, I already know what you're thinking. I already know what you're going to say. He doesn't just walk into a room anymore, Thomas. And I'd say you're wrong. His body might not, but his presence will. His presence through his spirit. Because in the end, that is what is the greatest proof than the holes in his hands and his feet. His presence. 
Because you can see a physical miracle and still walk away. We saw it all the time. Pharisees, teachers of the law, common people who saw a healing or Lazarus raised from the dead. Me, who saw all the miracles and still found ways to not believe. Yeah, you know, ultimately for me it wasn't about the holes in his hands and in his feet. You might think it was, but it really wasn't. I had already proven that you could walk away from a miracle. No, it was, it was about his presence. It was just so undeniably him. You know what? I can feel his very presence in my bones tonight. I can feel the very presence of God in me. You see, I had been filled with doubt. But when Jesus resurrected, well, it changed everything. Those three years of following Jesus were awesome. I wish I had the words to explain to you what it was like. From the moment we stepped off that beach, it was just one spectacle after another. I saw people healed by a single touch. I saw blind men see and lame men get up and walk. My own feet walked on water. Me, walking on water. Can you believe that? It was the most extraordinary years of my life. I never wanted it to end. I never thought that it would end. I thought every day with Jesus was just going to be one spectacular moment after the next. Jesus was going to change the world, and I had a front row seat. Jesus used to always tell me that I was going to be the foundation of what he was building. When we met, he changed my name from Simon, which meant shifting sands, to Peter, which means rock. I was Jesus' rock. I was going to be his right-hand man. Jesus was going to be king. And I was going to be right there next to him. But then that night came. And we all gathered up in this room to eat Passover. And when we were finished eating, Jesus told us that that very night he was going to be betrayed. And he even looked at me and he told me that before the rooster crowed tomorrow, I would deny him three times. Me! His rock. No, 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 come on. That's not me. I would never leave. I could never leave. Even if every person in that room walked out, I would be right there next to him. But then that night came. The guards, they, they arrested him. And they beat him. And they spit on him. And they stripped him down. He did nothing. I, w I was so confused. That wasn't how this was supposed to go. We weren't supposed to lose. So later I found myself sitting around this small coal fire in the temple courtyards. Just waiting for any sort of news. That's when this little girl walked up to me. 
she looked at me and she asked if I was with that man from Nazareth. If I was with Jesus. Now you have to understand, if they knew that I was with him, they would have stoned me. So, I told her I I wasn't with him. But then more people came up asking me all these questions. They were questioning my accent, why I was there. And so I, I was terrified. I just wanted to get out of there. So I told them anything they wanted to hear. I'd never seen him before in my life. I never knew Jesus. I cursed them all. And that's when I heard it. That rooster. And all the words of Jesus about my denial came flooding back to me. What had I done? It was was unbearable. It was like this weight on my chest where I, I couldn't breathe. I was so ashamed. There was this voice in the back of my head that just kept throwing labels at me. Liar, coward, fake. The worst part was that it was true. And then he did it. Jesus actually did it. He was exactly who he said he was. Jesus rose from the dead. And every time he appeared to us, it was so exciting. And believe me when I tell you, I was excited. But there was still some part of me that held me back. Because while everyone around me celebrated, I silently mourned. I mourned because I felt that none of it was for me. That when I had denied to Jesus, I'd walked away from all that. Every time Jesus showed up, I was so afraid to look him in the eyes because of what I might see there. Anger and disappointment. It got so overwhelming that I just ran. I ran back to the only thing that I knew I could do well. I was fishing. I got back on my boat and I went out to sea. And there he was, on the beach. Jesus had found me again. And so I rowed back up to shore and I got out and there he was cooking us breakfast over this small coal fire. And it's all these memories rush back to me. The fish, the boat, my friends, the, the fire. It was like I was being taunted by the past. By memories of my amazing time with Jesus and the other disciples. But also my terrible failure. And as if Jesus could read my mind, he spoke. Simon. Simon. He used my old name, Shifting Sands. We were right back where we started. He asked me, Simon, do you love me more than these? And I looked at my friends and the fish in the boat, and of course I loved him more than those. Nothing in this world could compare to him, but, but what did love have to do with anything? When I was so weak, 
And he said, feed my sheep. But I didn't understand. He just kept asking me, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And every time he did, I just wished he would stop asking me that question because he knew that I loved him. But every time he asked, it was like it was cutting into my heart and showing me my shame. And then one last time, Jesus said, feed my sheep. And when I looked up to protest, I looked him in the eyes for the first time since he'd returned. And what I saw there was life-altering. I didn't see anger or disappointment. I saw love and forgiveness. It was overwhelming. I realized in that moment that he wasn't asking me these questions to shame me. He was doing it to forgive me, to help me forgive myself for what I had done. Every time that he cut into my heart, it wasn't to hurt me, it was to set me free. And every time he told me to feed his sheep, he was reminding me of the trust that he still had in me, the purpose he still had for me. And seeing that trust that he had still had in me, after everything that I had done was so healing. It was like this weight was lifted off of my chest and I could breathe again. All that shame that had driven me away from Jesus, away from my friends, away from my purpose. It was all gone. Jesus had forgiven it all. It was extraordinary. Because he had made clear that no matter what I had done or ever will do, he loved me and had called me to something greater. So I embraced that truth. I preached that truth with every ounce of my being. Because when I stood at the cross, all I saw was my sin and shame. And it crushed me. But through the resurrection, Jesus showed me the power of that cross. He showed me why he did what he did. To show the power of his forgiveness. A power to heal the deepest shame. And that changed everything. He had told them this was coming. He had pointed to his death, burial, and resurrection multiple times. And again and again, they did not understand. Until he rose again. And the resurrection changed everything. Mary Magdalene, who'd been an outcast on the margins of society. When Jesus rose again, he showed her honor, giving her the position of preaching for the first time of the risen Lord. If you feel like an outcast tonight, Jesus wants you to know you're welcomed and you're celebrated. Matthew, the tax collector, who struggled with knowing if Jesus was worth the cost, worth losing his security and money in his inn with worldly powers, when Jesus resurrected, 
it all faded from view. Jesus brought eternal life and relationship with God, and that was worth more than anything. If you are counting the cost of following Jesus tonight, he wants you to know it's worth it. Thomas, the doubter, who struggled with knowing if the resurrection was real, who struggled with his need for proof. In the resurrection, Jesus met him with the gift of his presence, not just in the holes in his hand, but in his Holy Spirit, living in Thomas, testifying to the truth for the rest of his life. If you are in doubt, Jesus wants you to know his spirit is in the room tonight. And Peter, who denied Jesus even while he loved him, who was living in shame that drove him away from Jesus, away from his community, away from his purpose. The resurrected Jesus went to where he had run and restored him with forgiveness and the knowledge that he was trusted to continue the work of God. If you love Jesus, but you are swamped in shame tonight, Jesus wants to free you. And so we look at their stories, we see how we relate the outcasts, the cost counters, the doubters, the ashamed, and we realize that the testimony of Scripture is that God built his church on those people, on those stories. After the resurrection, it changed everything. Mary, the outcast, lived out her life, loved in her community, and teaching of her time with Jesus. Matthew, the tax collector, who had counted the cost, lived a life of ministry and gave his life, counting it worth it for the glory of preaching Jesus. Doubting Thomas went further than any other disciple, preaching as far east as India about his risen Lord. And Peter, who had lived in shame, went on to be that rock of the church, preaching the first public sermon on the day of Pentecost where thousands came to faith and the church grew. And the movement spread just as Jesus said it would from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth, centuries upon centuries of Christians, tribe to tribe, believing for a day when every nation, every tribe, every tongue, would believe and praise the name of their resurrected Lord. That is our inheritance as Christians. The cross where our sins were forgiven, but the resurrection where we share in the new life that comes from it. All the outcasts all the cost counters, all the doubters, and all the the ashamed. He rose to new life for them. He rose to new life for me. And he 
he rose to new life for you. He had told us this was coming. And it changes everything. Well, as we end the narrative portion tonight, we're going to move into a time of worship. But I invite you to remain standing as we step into a short time of prayer. I invite you to consider what you heard tonight about if there's a story that you relate to. There's an aspect of that where you thought, yes, I am living between the cross and the resurrection. Where God has done something great, but I'm living like I don't understand it yet. I'm not living in the new life that Jesus has bought me on the cross. And maybe it's not one of these stories. Maybe it's something else. But the reality is the resurrection breaks into every single story in this room. The resurrection breaks into every single heart to bring the life of the kingdom, the light of the kingdom, the joy and the peace, the hope, the restoration, the justice, the mercy of the kingdom. As we sing this final song, I want you to approach the Lord with that and ask him to help you live in this resurrected life where we live forgiven, free of shame, confident in who Jesus is. I believe that he has something new for you tonight as you embrace that. Lord, would you move in our hearts to receive whatever it is you have to offer for each individual here who just like Mary, God, you know their name. You speak their name with kindness and restoration and love. And so God, wherever we have been living in darkness, living like this world is all there is, God, would you break in and bring the light of new life that you bought on the cross? Jesus, will you open our hearts tonight to what you want to do? And we pray all of this in your powerful, risen name. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Wow. Sometimes we want the facts and we miss the heart. I can be up here sometimes. <laughs> and so thank you guys for bringing the facts from here to here to help us to feel the power of the truth. I just heard that for the first time. That was, I didn't know. If you are here and you're not a follower of Jesus, tonight, place your faith in this one who's the resurrected one. And he can do the same thing in your life. Amen. I'd like to honor the people who did this tonight. I, I wasn't supposed to come up here, but I said, Sarah, I want to go up there because I just want to honor. I know how hard they worked on this. And so will you guys come up here? All of you in black, come on up. Yeah.
Thank you, guys. You guys, you nailed it. Man. Yeah, thank you, guys. You, you brought us into the truth. So thank you for your hard work to make that possible. And um, Sarah and Zach wrote that. So can you give them a hand? And then there's one more hand I want to give, and that's to the one who did it, who rose from the dead on the third day. Jesus! We bless your name! We bless your name! Be glorified on these grounds. Be glorified in our hearts. Thank you for your love, your goodness, your grace, and your mercy. You are worthy of it all. Sarah, I want you to give the benedictions. Well, tonight, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he be gracious to you as you live out this resurrected life that he has offered us. So we wait for him to come again. May you live in peace. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Have a great night. Thank you for listening to the Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia podcast. For more information, you can visit our website, xaatuva.com. 